Show. It is Josh Elliott Wolf filling in once again for Vic Nazar on vacation. Uh, but I'm here. Tom Schmatty is here. Victor Gauthier, intern Sonia, all here. And you, the listener. 650-650, Dunbar Lumber text line. You can text in Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street, Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center, or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. And we are coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews. Sore feet, what are you waiting for? Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. It is a Tuesday, so you know what that means. Yannick Hansen, he's not taking a bye week. He's going to join us just after 3.30. We'll get into everything involving the Canucks, how their last week went before the bye, or, yeah, before the bye week, and um, the trade deadline coming up, what's going on with that, what pieces maybe the team could consider moving, and what needs to be brought in for the Canucks um, but get your text in, 650-650, Dunbar Lumber text line. Also, Mark Schofield of SB Nation going to join us. We'll talk some NFL. Maybe I'll sneak an F1 question in there, too, because Dom thinks I don't know about F1, but I do. It's also a, a, maybe a basic question. We'll see. I don't know. Um, but Mark Schofield will join us in just a few minutes to talk about conference championship weekend, the lead-up to the Super Bowl, and everything going on in the NFL, including Seattle Seahawks missing out on a potential head coaching option in Ben Johnson, Lions offensive coordinator, who uh, reports today said was going to be staying in Detroit, which to me is a little surprising. It's always surprising, though, when a coordinator doesn't take the head coaching job because you're just like, well, what's the what's the reason? Don't you want to be the guy? But who knows? Ben Johnson, he's done a good job in Detroit as well. It would have been interesting to see how he would have done in Seattle or Washington, wherever he would have ended up. But we'll get into the job he's done with Mark Schofield in a couple minutes as well. Um, but today, too, it is the one-year anniversary of the Bo Horvat trade. That you called. That I called. Remember that? We won't play the clip, but basically I was 100% correct. And... Dom is very aware of that now because we also got into an argument pre-show about how I say my name at the end of a show, and I, I believe I was right. No, you weren't. Was I? I was wrong? Yeah. Oh. You say, I've been. I can't show. believe I say that. Never mind. Completely off. Uh, completely when you're off on air, you are Josh Elliott Wolf, but when you're off air, you're someone else. That's why you say, I yeah, have been. Yeah, I have been previously Josh Elliott Wolf. Currently, currently right now, I am Josh Elliott Wolf. We'll see what happens after the show. Um, so yeah, I want to get into kind of year out from the Horvat trade. Things have gone really well for the Canucks. Um, nobody I think could have predicted how things would have ended up. Nobody would have thought that they would have traded that first round pick and brought in Philip Ronick, completely gone away from what it seemed like they were going to do last season. But it's almost funny how much of a win-win-win that series of trades were for every team. Like, you look at the Islanders, um, they gave up Atu Ratu, Anthony Beauvillier, and that first-round pick, and I don't think they're really losing sleep over it because they, they kind of pushed all their chips in, and Bo Horvat has been really, really good in New York, especially this season. I still worry about the contract, but for now, he is uh, he's worth it, and things are going really well for him and the Islanders. Um, well, maybe not really well for the Islanders, but they're going fine. Elsewhere, in Vancouver... Philip Peronic has been one of, if not uh, 
on the best pair around the league this season, and he's been a big part of that. He's unlocked Quinn Hughes, and Quinn Hughes has done a lot to help Peronic as well. That pair is just working, as we know, very, very well. So don't have to get into the Vancouver side of it too much, but you know how well that has been working. And uh, also, the Detroit side, much less important, but Axel Sandin Pelica seems like he'll be a guy he seems like he'll be good in the NHL. He had a good um, stretch, and I do think that Detroit is looking at that trade as a win as well. 650-650, Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, you know at least one Canucks trade will drop sometime this week while you guys are filling in. Isn't that how the bow trade dropped too? Yeah, I was hosting with uh, – that's Colin from the Caribou. I was hosting with Israel Fair last year, and – Basically how it went is we were talking about like, hey, where should they trade Bo Horvat? And I was like, hey, you know what? If you trade him to the Islanders, you'll Ratu, get Ratu. you'll get Atu Ratu in a first. 20 minutes later, trade came down. So I do think, get ready. A trade is probably going to happen this week. You know what else happened uh, during this show? Last year? Well, just in its history. Um, JT Miller signed. JT, the well, famous double take from Vic Nazar. Yeah, that was a that was in the summer though, right? That was still summer. Show. It was still the People Show. Fair enough. Um, but yeah, news drops during the People Show. Yeah. So make sure to tune in. Uh, it is the People Show. Josh Elliott will filling in for Vic Nazar. Uh, let's welcome in our next guest. We go to the Dispatch Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning Hotline. It is Mark Schofield of SB Nation. Thanks for taking the time, Mark. How are you? I'm doing well, Josh. How are you? Hope things are well. Yeah, I'm doing great. Things are going really well. Still uh, still recovering from Sunday and all the action there. Um, so before we get into anything else, I know I know you do this with Bick every week. I uh, just wanted to get into what your throw of the week was from, uh, from the two games on Sunday. Yeah, and there were a couple of different options here. You could have gone in a few different directions, but I think my favorite throw was the Patrick Mahomes touchdown to Travis Kelsey, and for a couple of different reasons. I mean, one, it just reminds us that you know when he needs to, Patrick Mahomes can put a throw, put a put the football anywhere he needs to. You know, this was a big throw early in that game. Obviously, got the Chiefs in the into the end zone. But I think what also made this an impressive throw to me was who they came against because Kelsey was working against Kyle Hamilton on this throw and. You know, say what you want about how that game unfolded. Say what you want about, you know, the Chiefs and what they did. But at points in this game, and perhaps overall, Hamilton was perhaps the best player on the field. He was flying all over for the Baltimore Ravens defense. This is a defense that, you know, after the 17 points scored in the first half, they held Kansas City out of the end zone for the rest of the game. I think that Baltimore defense did a really good job. But on this play, they got the better of them. They got the better of Kyle Hamilton, who, as I said, was perhaps – you know, the best player on the field in this game. And so that throw, that moment, that placement from Patrick Mahomes made it the throw of the week for me. So you didn't want to go with the uh, Brock Purdy throwing it off a defender's face to Ayuk? Well, I mean, if Brock had come out after the game and said, look, that's what I was trying to do, <laughs> yeah. then, then maybe we could have gone there. But I do want to talk about that. I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, a lot of people in, in the days, since that throw, since that game, have sort of said, you know, why was he throwing it there? Ayuk wasn't really open. It was a good decision, you know, because if you look at that play, what, you know, what the Detroit Lions were trying to do there, they were running what we kind of call invert two. 
which is where you get to cover two, two deep defenders, but they get to it in a strange way where you've got the two outside corners get in depth and becoming those two deep safeties. And Ayuk is working to get somebody who's one of those corners who's playing sort of outside of him. So Ayuk's one of the deep post. He's got inside leverage. And when Purdy put, puts his back foot in the ground and starts to throw, it almost looks like if you just pause it at that moment and you get the all 22 and you're looking at it, you're like, wait a second, he doesn't, he's not open. But he's read the coverage. And so I understand the decision. It didn't work out the way you draw it up. I mean, let's be honest. If that gets intercepted, we might be having a very different conversation right now. Mm-hmm. But it's the right decision against that coverage, and it was the right lead by Brock Purdy. And it ended up working out just probably not the way you would have thought. So what do you think of this uh, this matchup between Purdy and Mahomes? Uh, usually you guys do matchup of the week as well. This, is, this just happens to be it by default. But what do you think of uh, this Super Bowl quarterback matchup? Well, it's fascinating, and obviously in many ways it's sort of a, a contrast in styles because Mahomes, however you want to describe him, however sort of you know cute little catchphrase you want to use for a quarterback, I like to use the Baker versus Chef. Mahomes is that quintessential chef. You know, if you're making dinner, you know, you can put a little more garlic in, you can put a little more spice in, but if you're making a cake, if you're baking a cake, you've got to go step by step by step, follow the directions, you know, a little bit more flour, a little bit more bacon soda, and you might have a big problem on your hands when that timer goes off. Mahomes is the chef type of player that can experiment, that can create outside of the pocket. Whereas Purdy, he's probably more that baker type of quarterback where he's going through the recipe. He's going step by step in what Kyle Shan, Kyle Shanahan asks him to do in that offense. But as you've seen from him at times, as you've seen from him, you know, certainly in the NFC Championship game, he can create a little bit. He can extend plays. He can pick up yardage with his legs. When the Lions went to man coverage in that game, he found some opportunities to scramble and pick up yardage. And so, you know, there is that general contrast of styles, but I think it'll be interesting to see how these two defensive coordinators kind of dial things up. You know, certainly Steve Spagnuolo has done a great job with his Chiefs defense this year. And, you know, how is he going to try to handle all of the weapons that the 49ers have that Brock Purdy has at his disposal. What is Steve Wilkes going to do against, you know, this Patrick Mahomes chef type of quarterback? And so the contrast in styles, I think, is going to be fascinating to how these two defensive coordinators look to contain these offenses, I think, will be fascinating. And I think it's going to make for a very in- intriguing, interesting Super Bowl to watch. One topic I've uh, seen been thrown around on social media in the past couple of days has been that this could be Patrick Mahomes' most impressive Super Bowl when you consider the opponents he had to face, you know, the Dolphins, the Bills, the Ravens, and now the Niners. Um, and also on top of that, I, I don't know if I fully agree with the, hey, he doesn't have as many pieces, but obviously there's no Tyree. Kelsey is a little bit older, but I think he's been great in the playoffs. But would you agree that if they did get this done, would this be Mahomes' most impressive Super Bowl? I think so. And, you know, it's interesting. The argument against it is perhaps the idea that, look, now he's got a good defense to go along with, and it's not – all that they can really do is try to outscore people. You know, now they can get something from their defense. Now you can have a defense that's going to hold the Miami Dolphins to what seven points in the wild card game. You have a defense that can shut down Lamar Jackson and hold them to just ten points in an AFC Championship game. And so in years past, where sometimes Mahomes and that Kansas City offense just had to outscore people, 
now they've got a defense that's come to play as well. And so I think that might be an argument that says, you know, some of the previous Super Bowls were more impressive for Mahomes. But then when you look at, A, how they've had to sort of recalibrate their offense and sort of figure things out when earlier in the season the points weren't coming, you weren't getting the production from the outside receivers that you might have liked to see, and how they've sort of re you know, sort of evolved their offensive philosophy. I, I think that's impressive. And I think when you look at who he had to go through to just to get here, number one, because you have to go through Tua, and then you have to go through Josh Allen, and then you have to go through Lamar Jackson. And, oh, those second two games were on the road, something we haven't seen him do before in an AFC playoff game. I think that's impressive. And now, obviously, if you beat this San Francisco team, which has a, an extremely good defense, and yes, as a very, very explosive and you know high potent offense as well, that would make it an extremely impressive run. So I see both arguments, but I ultimately come down on the side that, hey, given what he had to do go through to get here, given the challenges that they faced, this would be his most impressive yet. Uh, it is the People Show. Josh Elliott Wolf joined by Mark Schofield. So one stat I saw as well was that. Uh, that I found kind of interesting. Eight of the last 10 Super Bowls have featured a quarterback on a rookie-scaled contract. Does that mean anything, or is it just kind of representative of how many teams are trying to find their guy so they kind of cycle through quarterbacks on rookie contracts until one of them, like the Niners seem to have in Brock Purdy, hits? Yeah, I mean, I think there is that sort of overall economic philosophy, and this dates back to, in many ways, the Seahawks and Russell Wilson was – you know, with the economics of the new CBA and, you know, when you draft a quarterback now, they don't automatically become the highest paid player in the league. You know, years ago, you drafted Matthew Stafford. He's the highest paid player. Now it's different. And so it's allowed teams to, if they find a quarterback like Purdy, like Wilson in the draft, they can build a team of monsters around them. Like certainly the 49ers have with, you know, Debo Samuel, Christian McCaffrey, George Kittle, and just, really make a deep run or you can, you know, see that player not succeed and you can try again. You know, you can move on from a rookie quarterback if it doesn't quite work. And then again, you're not paying such a high price to do so. I think, so I do think that there's sort of that economic argument to it. And I also sort of think it shows the caliber of quarterbacks that we're seeing coming out. I mean, because you can move on from a potential mistake, if you missed on a rookie quarterback, Teams are more willing to try their hand at the draft. They're willing to let these players play early, see what they have, you know, see if the player is the quarterback they were hoping they were getting when they drafted them. And so you're seeing rookie quarterbacks playing earlier. And so I think the economics of it are such that teams are just willing to take their shot at the quarterback in the draft. And if they have some level of confidence in that player, build around them and try to maximize that contract window. On the other side, so on, on the losing side for the AFC Championship, the Ravens, do you think they stuck to what kind of made them work throughout the season, or did it kind of feel like they were trying to play the Chiefs game a little bit too much and, and kind of came out of it? And and also, I think you look at that game and there were a lot of mental mistakes as well, but it just kind of it didn't feel like they were comfortable at any point in that game. No, Josh, it didn't. And you know, going into that game, we all sort of thought, look, they're going to try to run the ball. If that Chiefs defense, defense has a weakness, it's probably against the run. They only ran it with their running backs like six times. You know, you had opportunities, I think, in that game to do more in the run game, 
you know, one, because that's what's got you there. That's what's been successful. Two, it's a way to keep Patrick Mahomes off the field, you know. And so I was surprised that they didn't feature the run game more. I also think perhaps in a way they outsmarted themselves. You know, maybe they thought, look, we've got to try to score Patrick Mahomes. We've got to get more from our offense. So we're going to try to throw it. We're going to try to make some big plays. But I do think that maybe it was a situation where they almost outsmarted themselves if they had leaned into the run a little bit more, run it more than six times with their running backs. I think they might have come away with perhaps a different result. And reports today uh, from the Lions that the Lions offensive coordinator, Ben Johnson, will be staying in Detroit. What do you think of the job he's done in Detroit with the Lions and uh, also with Jared Goff? Well, I think he's done a very good job both with Goff and with this offense. That's an offense that has found different ways to beat teams. You saw early in that game against the 49ers, they were able to run the football. And again, that's an example of an offense that saw, look, we can run the football against this defensive front. We can have success against the Niners in the run game. And so we're going to run the football and establish the run. But they also had success with Jared Goff as well. Obviously, you know, he's become the face of that team, the face of that franchise. And let's not forget, when they made that trade, there were a lot of people, and I would put myself in this same category, that said, look, Jared Goff is going to be the bridge. They're certainly going to draft a quarterback in the next year or two. Maybe they'll sort of roll the dice here with one year with Goff. And who knows, maybe they strike light and they're in the bottle. But more likely than not, they're going into the quarterback market at some point. Instead, you know, they found something here with Jared Goff. And I think, you know, Ben Johnson, I've been told this by people that cover the Lions on a closer basis than I do. He really likes what he's built with this offense with Jared Goff. He likes being an offensive coordinator. He likes working with Dan Campbell and Brad Holmes. And he just feels he's in a very good position to continue doing what he's doing and getting this team back to and potentially not just an NFC championship game, but to, to, to a Super Bowl. And the, the head coaching jobs he was linked to were uh, Seattle and Washington. Do you think it says anything about the spots those teams are in that he didn't take those jobs? Or is it just, like you said, he has unfinished business in Detroit and he would rather stay there and do that? I, I lean more towards the latter, that he feels that he's happy where he is, you know, that he likes being an offensive coordinator, that he does have this unfinished business because he was given a similar, you know, the, he was linked with the Carolina Panthers job last year. And that was a scenario where you had the first overall pick, so he would have had his choice of quarterbacks in the draft. But he decided, no, I'm going to go back to Detroit. I'm going to try to finish what, we're, what we've started building here. I like what we have with Dan Campbell. I like what we're building under Brad Holmes, our general manager. I like what we have in Jared Goff. And so I really think it was just a reflection of he's happy where he is. He has unfinished business in Detroit, and he sees that they have a path to get back to an NFC championship game and ultimately a Super Bowl. One thing that I kind of find interesting, too, is in, in that division, you have the the Lions who are obviously on the up and up. They're, doing, they're looking pretty good, got to the NFC championship. The Packers looked really good in the playoffs. Jordan Love coming into form. The Vikings, if they bring back Kirk Cousins, I don't think they're going to be easy to put away. And then you also have the Bears, who are likely uh, going to draft a quarterback pretty high, and they'll also have another first-round pick as well. Like That division might not be a cakewalk for Detroit next year, and it, it almost feels like this might have been their best chance to uh, you know, make it as far as they could. No, and I think you're right, and I think those – you know, those re- realities were reflected in a lot of what Dan Campbell said after the game and said to his team. He said, look, you know, this might have been our shot. 
you know, it's not easy. And now, look, if you're the Detroit Lions, not only do you have to play those teams in the division you just talked about, you know, Green Bay, Chicago, Minnesota, you know, twice each, you're also getting that first-place schedule. So you're going to get to see the Kansas City Chiefs again. You're going to get to see the San Francisco 49ers again. It's going to be tougher. You know, it's tougher to get back, you know, sometimes as a team that loses in a conference championship game. And so this could have been their best shot at it. And Campbell, you know, certainly spoke as it could be that way in his post-game comments to the team. But they like what they've built. They think they've got this culture in place. They've got the roster in place. It's just – can they make another run? And Ben Johnson's decision to come back to help them in that effort, I think, speaks to what they've built in Detroit. One more question before we let you go. Obviously, you uh, do great work on the NFL for SB Nation, but you also cover F1 for SB Nation. Uh, I got an I got an F1 question. How would you feel about a, a Chicago Grand Prix if that was to be a reality? Well, I, I would be excited about it for a couple of different reasons. I mean, obviously, it's a little bit easier for me to get to Chicago than it is, say, Abu Dhabi or Bahrain yeah, or yeah. even to some of the races in Europe. So there is that aspect to it. And I think, look, you look at that first NASCAR street race, which they had in Chicago last summer, it was fascinating to watch. As somebody that's been to Chicago many times that loves the city of Chicago, like seeing NASCAR have a successful event on the streets of Chicago, I think, was a tremendous thing to see as just as a sports fan, as a, a fan of motorsports here in the United States. And so if F1 decided, look, we're going to try to get a street race in Chicago, I would be all for it from a personal level. Now, from a sort of take a step back and look at F1 in general, would you add a 25th race to what's already a very, very long schedule? You know, a lot of drivers, Max Verstappen, chief among them, has sort of hinted at the fact that, look, he's going to walk away if they keep adding races. There's so much that they're asked to do, and the schedule is so tough. And next year, you know, you have to go from Vegas in the middle of the night to the Middle East at the end of the season for a triple header. You're going to add another race to that. Or are you going to take something like Silverstone or one of the more well-known, long-established historic tracks in Formula One off of the calendar for another street race in the United States? And so from a personal level, I would have loved it. I would love it if it happened. But where would you? What would you do from a sort of big picture? Would you add a 25th race or take something already on the calendar off? And so there, I could see sort of a big picture that maybe it wouldn't be the best move just yet to add a street race in Chicago. Hey, fair enough, uh, Mark. Really appreciate you taking the time and uh, enjoy the lead up to the Super Bowl here. Thanks so much for having me, Josh. Appreciate it. Enjoy the rest of the week. Will do. There is Mark Schofield of SP Nation. You can follow him on Twitter at. Mark Schofield. Uh, so speaking of the Super Bowl, we've got a we've got our own here at 6:50 tonight at 9:30 in a big game in an unmarked <laughs> location. So I've been talking a big game. As we know, my uh, my field goal. I talked a big game about that. 35 yards. I said I could hit it within 10 attempts. Did it. Nailed it. Easy. Victor Gaucher working on the show today. That's al- me. Also was a uh, D1 goalkeeper, athlete. D1 athlete, goalkeeper. D2 guys, come on. In soccer, sorry, um, in college. And I've said that I can, hey, give me 10 penalty kicks. I know he's really good, and I'm not trying to discredit him. But I can score. But I'm going to discredit him. I'm not discrediting him. I can score four of 10. Yeah, it's discrediting him. Is it, though? Like, is that significantly, like, if, if someone of your caliber of talent had 10 PKs, how many do you think they would score? On you? On you. 
Oh, like let's say you're going up seven or eight. Yeah, seven or eight. I'm going to score seven or eight on him tonight. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so I said four. Yeah, Victor, how many do you think I'm going to score on you? I feel like this is a bold claim to make. Make it. Don't be a coward. You got to make it. Don't be a coward. I'll say three or less. Three or less. And I say you miss two completely. Miss miss the net completely completely on two on two of ten. I will say I was a little nervous because you you talk a big talk. Until yeah. you said, I don't have cleats, I'm going to show up in running shoes. Yeah, I don't play soccer, so that's also part of it. I don't play soccer. I played soccer in high school, but that was like high school soccer. Um, but I'm not particularly good or well-versed, so we'll see how it goes. But I'm saying 4 of 10. Don, do you think I can do 4 of 10, or are you on Victor's side here? You can do four at ten. Oh, oh Don's what? on board. No confidence in Victor Gaucher. Um, we'll see. I'm, we're going to go to break now. I'm riding the high. No, you're not. All you the way until nine thirty. Yeah, I gotta, I'm going to do it now. Okay, I'll do this one first, Dom. The iconic Coors Light Chill Train is heading to Las Vegas for the big game, and it just made a stop in Vancouver, leaving behind a trail of epic prizes. On February 1st and 2nd from 8 a.m. to 7 p.m., look for its frozen tracks at Robson Square for a chance to win instant prizes that deliver big game day chill or the ultimate grand prize, a trip to next year's big game event. Learn more at CoorsLight.ca slash thechilltrain. Also, speaking of big game... Uh, You can join Sportsnet 650 at Clayton Public House for the big football party hosted by Reach Deep, Reach Deep, Dan Riccio, Randeep Janda on Sunday, February 11th. Clayton Public House, good food, good people, good times. Caller 58 right now, 604-280-0650. You had it? Yeah, no, yeah. Super Bowl 58. Yeah, I get it. Call it 58. 58. Uh, we'll win a big football game prize pack. Each includes a reserve table for you and five friends, plus a $100 gift card to join Sportsnet, Sportsnet 650 for the big football game at Clayton Public House on Sunday, February 11th. Call in now. Call it 58-604-280-0650. It is the People Show. Josh Elliott Wolf on the other side. Yannick Hansen is going to join us on Sportsnet 650.